folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar here, along with ESPN's Courtney Cronin. And Courtney, it has been a week. It has really been a week. Um, My mentions are a complete truck fire after writing that it's not really all that realistic for the Vikings to tank right now, and their chances at Trevor Lawrence aren't super high despite an 0-2 start. So how's your last few days? It's been good, probably better than the Vikings, considering they've lost what feels like a player a day to injury with Troy Dye going on IR, Anthony Barr four days or three days prior going on IR. Now you have two cornerbacks who don't look likely to play on Sunday. And then another one enters the injury report today with Chris Boyd and a hamstring injury. So, I mean, it's just a lot. Um, I'm great, I guess, comparatively speaking to the team that we cover, but it's just kind of amazing to me as I've toiled over the last few days following the cold, loss and figuring out wow this went south very 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 quickly um no like of all teams that you know are oh and two right now are the ones who were like really struggling I think the Vikings are the ones who did not anticipate being where they're at more than any other team in the NFL like the Jets stink they they anticipated stinking if you ask people to speak reasonably and realistically about that I don't think anybody in that building in Egan, anticipated that they would look this bad through the first two weeks of the season. That's just kind of why it feels so jarring at the early part of the year. And it also kind of feels like we're writing off the the rest of the season in a season that we anticipated playing out so differently than what we're seeing right now. Okay, let's talk about that for a minute because I went poking around to see other prognosticators who pick the schedule and who, you know, name the division winners and so forth. So, you know, the athletic and other different places like that, see what everybody picked. And I didn't find anyone except for our friend Eric Eager on this very podcast saying six and 10 for the Vikings. There were a few eight and eights and there were a lot of 
picking the Vikings to win the division. And you and I both set the bar for them, which I feel like is a little different than saying if we were betting a lot of money on it versus where the bar is set. So we set the bar at 10 and six. If I were gambling, I would have taken the under though, which is kind of because I always felt, and I think you did too this off season that they were walking on thin ice, that if something went wrong, like say, Daniil Hunter has a quote tweak, and then he has to miss a bunch of time that they are so thin in so many areas that if someone got hurt, that there would be a domino effect and they would fall off and they would not make the playoffs. I think we all saw that possibility coming to enter the season 0-2 with allowing the second most points in the NFL and being a disaster on offense to where they only can put up 11 points against the Indianapolis Colts and the only touchdown is, is very late in the game. That is something that I don't think anybody, any of the prognosticators or us saw coming. So what what did we miss and were we in the same boat as ownership and as the front office and as the coaches who seemed to go into this season thinking that they were going to be a division contender? I don't know that we really missed anything. Just, and I know that probably sounds like a cop out of, we know everything. We picked this to happen. No, we didn't, but I can't remember a time where I was so bought into the offensive continuity that this team had. It's the one thing they talked about, until they were blue in the face all off season long, dating back to that Monday press conference after the San Francisco game where Zimmer talked about wanting to keep the same, same, same everything, same play calls, same play design, formations, verbiage, the whole thing, which is just pointed to at that point, they're going to try to hire Gary Kubiak. They did. And all of that was supposed to bring out the best in Kirk Cousins and that, you know, he had five offensive coordinators in five years or whatever it was. And this is the first time he kind of had a little bit of continuity carrying over from the 2019 season. And that, you know, at that point, everybody was the same on offense. Well, you trade Stephon Diggs, you, you get Justin Jefferson. Okay. It's not going to be as good as it was, but you have a first round receiver. You'll figure out how to use them. Wrong. Um, I just, I always kind of felt in the back of my mind that this offensive continuity argument, or at least the perception that they were going to be good in 2020 because they were good in 2019 and a lot of the pieces remain the same, was kind of a um, straw man's argument. Like it just never felt very solid to me uh, because, you know, with Kirk Cousins, everything literally has to be status quo and the situation has to be perfect around him the product of his supporting cast in order for him to succeed. So the second you start taking pieces of the way, the second things aren't great, um, it's going to be hard for him to replicate that success that he had in 2019. So I always never really bought into that. And I never bought into the fact that the offense was going to be able to pick up the slack for the defense in a year that was supposed to be all along about player development, even though they made – the trade for Unique and Gakwe and all of the pieces were there for them to look really good on paper as a defense. Again, it felt kind of like this house of cards that was going to fall apart very easily once they actually had to get out there and perform. And that's exactly what we've seen. Um, it shouldn't surprise anybody that they're this bad. It really shouldn't because they're built for 2021. They're not built for this year. So that's kind of the thing that, you know, We expected them to be able to be like, yeah, sure, like we're built, you know, for the future, but we can still win now. Um, They just, it doesn't surprise me at all that they're in the situation that they're in right now because this felt more expected 
than unexpected, if that makes sense, because we know the strength of this team and it's going to be its defense. And when you pull that away, you're asking way too much of a unit that has been such a yo-yo since, you know, the last few years, ever since Kirk Cousins got here. And I just don't think that this is a team that's built to be able to outscore opponents and pull the weight of a defense that now is decimated by injury. It's even in worse, a worse state than it was at the start of the season. I think the way that we looked at it before the year was there was a very clear-cut best and worst-case scenario with this team, that the best-case scenario was that Irv Smith Jr. takes a huge step forward, Justin Jefferson is ready, Delvin Cook is still dominating but healthy throughout the whole season, and you make up for the absence of Stephon Diggs. And you have some offensive linemen step up, Ezra Cleveland, Drew Samia, and so forth. And then on the defensive side, the cornerbacks are more ready than we expect them to be. And that even though mm-hmm. they might have some struggles, it's not as bad as Xavier Rhodes last year. And the safeties make up for it and the linebackers make up for it and, and all those things. And you can really talk yourself into it in part because the Vikings had just not been bad in such a long time. Not truly bad. Since 2013 was the last time you looked at them and went, oh my gosh, this team is a mess. And then Zimmer comes in and they had just never been a mess under Mike Zimmer and so why would you expect it to look this bad starting off when under this coach it had never happened and under almost every coach except for Belichick there's always this time that you hit there's a wall you hit at one point Marvin uh, Lewis is one of the best coaches in the league and has a 12 and 4 season the next year he's 6 9 and 1 and and Andy Reid even hit a wall eventually late in uh, Donovan McNabb's career or maybe after McNabb was done you end up with I think he had I'd have to check but a 6 and 10 or, or something like that season that everybody gets to that point eventually when the roster runs its course and then if you don't have a quarterback who can just keep you afloat even though you have a struggling team and then these injuries have been such a huge part of it where if you don't have Daniil Hunter all of a sudden you're in big trouble you have your star nose tackle opt out I think this is, is a very different result in the first two weeks if you have Daniil Hunter and Michael Pierce on the defensive line with Yanni Kingakwe. I think that that's a lot different of a look than it was for these first two weeks um, so when we sort of lay it out for what this season could be the best case was you go 10 and 6 and that's how you kind of pick the schedule then because you don't know what could go wrong but the worst case was always written and I guess my question is do you think that they saw the worst case or just tried not to ever acknowledge it because I mean when we were doing the uh, you know pre a season type of interviews with these people throughout training camp. It was like Harrison Smith said, Oh, I didn't know we were supposed to be bad. I guess the, yeah. I'm just finding out like, well, here, yeah, well, you're bad. So uh, it, I just think they didn't want to believe like, it. Yeah. It never seemed like they could wrap their minds around the Minnesota Vikings, not being competitive with Mike Zimmer as their coach. Sure. And the fact is like, you just paid your quarterback a lot of money to extend him to keep him here. And you thought you made moves that, would yield a win-now type team. You can do all that all you want. Like, everything's good on paper until it's put forth into reality, right? Like, with the defense. I mean, I remember writing after Ngakwe was traded here that this should be a team that's top 10 in defensive efficiency, just like they were last year, like they were the year before, like they were in 2017, because it makes sense. Star players yield, yield good results, right? But then again, it's like, when you think about it in realistic terms, 
you have a whole position group that's down this year with your cornerbacks. Like it just to anticipate that you have all these other players who are able to pull along a unit that has been decimated by free agency and now is with injuries and you have young players having to step up against really good quarterbacks and really good wide receivers that they're going against because let's face it, the Vikings were a good team last year, good enough to where the schedule is brutal for them in the first five weeks of the season. Um, Of course, like it doesn't look that bad, but once you start parsing through and you start realizing, did they really make any changes to the offensive line that were going to pan out in 2020? No, they didn't. Um, Did they really make any changes to, the defense in a way that you would anticipate things playing out in better than they are right now. Well, yes, but then circumstances happen. Michael Pierce opts out. Like you said, like you, you didn't sign a three technique and you didn't draft one. Well, Everson Griffin, you couldn't get him to come back. Like all these things that I think they were, they thought they might've just been able to overcompensate for or beat out. Didn't go their way. Like it just, that's just the way it is. And, um, I think there was just too much faith put into changing the identity of this team where the offense could carry the defense because it has never been like that in the seven seasons Mike Zimmer has been here. I mean, you even heard him say on Sunday that, you know, this is not the way that we play. And no, it's not because you don't have an offense that can score at will with others when your defense isn't able to pull its weight. That's just the way it is. And I don't know how easy it is to change your identity. Um, based on your personnel and the strength of your personnel, and especially with who you're playing with now and probably what this team's going to look like five, six weeks from now, which is why so many people are already looking towards 2021. There's a fan base that's saying tank for Trevor because it's just very unusual territory to think about this team being an offensive team that can that has the firepower to compete with the likes of Green Bay, with the Saints, with the Cowboys, with, with high-octane offenses across the NFL. That's never been their M.O. And I don't think it will be. And even in a year like this where so much has gone wrong, I just don't think that you can change who you are fundamentally this quickly to be able to survive. And my main point on Tank for Trevor, by the way, is not that it would be the bad move. It's that it isn't really feasible unless you are going to bench Kirk Cousins today because there are some teams in the league who are so bad they are already, even though you're all 0-2, they're already looking a leg up on you. The Jets specifically, I think, are missing their top three wide receivers this week. So they are out in front of you. And Sam Darnold can absolutely continue to lose a bunch of games. And so can Daniel Jones. But Kirk Cousins cannot. So, I mean, not lose to the point where you're going to go 1-15. So unless your plan is to bench him, bench Delvin Cook, bench Harrison Smith, or, or trade off everything, including, I mean, could you trade Cousins? I don't think so at this point, but I mean, I, I mean, I, I don't know. You never know if someone's quarterback got hurt and they wanted to trade for Cousins. That's really the only scenario, but I don't even see that. And that's talking about mm-hmm. this year alone. To get to that point where you could get Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, you are going to have to be so, so bad. And I just don't see that as being a possibility. And you're going to pick the schedule a little later. But I, I'm not telling anyone that picking Trevor Lawrence would be a bad thing for the organization. Um, speaking of the offense, though, because like I, I feel like this week I've obsessed over the big picture here. And there's some small picture things that are developing that are really interesting. And one of them is mm-hmm. Gary Kubiak talked about how he needs to find ways to get 
the ball into the hands of Justin Jefferson. Totally agree. And through watching back the tape, I'm going to say something that people might be horrified by and, and maybe upset and may get some pitchforks out, but I didn't think Indianapolis was entirely Kirk Cousins' fault. I, I looked back at the all 22. I couldn't find receivers open. I mean, there have been times in his career he's missed open receivers, but I couldn't find them. He threw some interceptions. Some of them were on him, another one's a Hail Mary, but there were but even the interception, he just heaves it up to someone in double coverage because no one else is open. And and I guess I, I'm sitting here saying I'm mm. not even sure what else he was supposed to do on Sunday between the offensive line and the scheme not getting people open and the receivers not being open. And I kind of went to Kubiak. He was looking at himself in the mirror today and wondering maybe this is something we just didn't anticipate was Kubiak is going to have to work himself up to that fastball, he's not just coming back after not calling plays for a while and throwing 100 miles an hour. That's a fair point. And Gary did take ownership and accountability of the fact that he's got to get guys open. I mean, I think it's just like a hard thing for people to stomach and to fathom that your $33 million a year quarterback needs you to handhold him in this sense and scheme guys open. All quarterbacks need the help of their offensive coordinator, but when you have somebody who is not able to overcome play calling and if a play breaks down, you know, change at the line of scrimmage, that whole thing, I think that frustrates people because Kirk was looked at as the, as the missing piece, as the answer for this team in a Super Bowl, and it just hasn't panned out, out that way, so now we're blaming play calling. Like, and, and just to be honest with you, I mean, I, w- I went back and watched all the interceptions. The Jair Alexander one um, in the second quarter, I think it was in the second quarter of that, um, whatever it was in the Packers game. Thielen was, you know, running an outbreaking route. Kirk threw the ball inside towards, you know, his, Thielen's inside shoulder. That's not on Gary. Kirk had all the time in the world on that throw. Um, the interception, the, the jarring one against Indianapolis when he's throwing in double coverage, he's forcing it. B.C. Johnson was breaking over the middle of the field. He was open. I'm not going to say he's wide open. I mean, he's a second-year receiver. So, um, you know, I just don't think Kirk Cousins trusts his other guys. Is that on Gary yep. Kubiak? Maybe. Yeah. But, like, you know, the, the more jarring thing to me is the safeties and just kind of what the play calls were. Like, these, you know, these play-action drops. Uh, when you're backed up towards your end zone and kind of like everything that transpired in both of those in leading up to both safeties and the safety play itself, like that doesn't, it's not a mark of a team that is really like aggressive and something that you should fear. That's kind of soft in my opinion, when you're calling that and when you're honestly, it's just when you're calling a couple play action passes here and there to get Kirk Cousins comfortable, like that, that to me screams somebody who needs like half field reads. And is that on play calling? Sure, but, like, shouldn't you expect more out of your quarterback at that point? Like, that's just where I struggle. Like, I think that there's plenty of blame to go around. And, yeah, Gary Kubiak has not had a fastball the last two weeks, as we've seen. Um, But is there a balance between Kubiak finding ways to get Herb Smith involved, actually, you know, establishing the run? Like, I know this sounds kind of silly, and people will argue with me, oh, you don't need the run to set up play action. In this offense, you do. I'm sorry. Like, because it hasn't worked without it. And Dalvin Cook has gotten going way too late. And I know Gary even today was talking about the, you know, average yards per carry, but we haven't run it enough. We'll run the ball more. That's on Gary. Dalvin Cook doesn't call his plays, so that's on Gary. Um, But beyond that, I think that 
it's kind of this perfect storm between bad protection on the offensive line, um, Kirk Cousins not trusting. He he doesn't have his contested catch monster in Stephon Diggs anymore. Like, you know, everything's going Adam Thielen's way. That's where coverage is being dictated towards by defenses. It's it's very obvious. And Kirk's got to trust other guys are going to get open for him, but he doesn't. Like, that's just – that's – I mean, think about what Kyle Rudolph said two years ago. Um, it's, it's not it's, – it's very obvious, like, how people feel about Kirk and, you know, his teammates and about him getting – him giving them chances and things like that. Like, that's not going to change. Like, so does that go to Gary then to make the – you know, to make this – all of his reads very obvious so he's not having to, like, dissect defenses and read coverages just knowing he has to throw the ball to a certain spot? then, yeah, I could see why people would say, okay, Gary is the blame there. I want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. If you have not seen this stuff yet, you've got to check it out. One of my favorite designs is of the Metrodome. I have a T-shirt of this one myself, and it's perfect for those of you who grew up going to the Metrodome. All of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. And we're going to hook you up with free shipping on your next order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That's SOTASTIC, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K dot com. Original Minnesota sports inspired goods. Code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Get back to the conversation in just a minute, but first, Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders, they call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going the extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So, now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. Yeah, well, this might sound a little crazy too, but the offensive line on the interior is so much worse than it was last year, and it was super not good last year, but this last game with Dozier and Samia, it was untenable, and I almost wonder if there needs to be more of 2018 quick pass game involved here, which I know, again, sounds ridiculous because it didn't work for Kirk in 2018, but there were games that he performed really well, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, where the other team had a great defensive line, and he was able to get the ball out quick, run screens, run quick slants and things like that to make up for the fact that Tom Compton was their starting guard that year and was just getting annihilated by the likes of Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox and so they were trying to get the ball out quickly and we've just seen nothing come easy for him in the scheme and I think that that's where I question the play calling through the first two games not I mean the safeties of course I I got that and that was a fun little debate we had over should you play action safety here or uh, play action back in the end zone because you could get a safety and all that Uh, but in terms of the overall last year Kirk Cousins averaged something like eight yards an attempt behind the line of scrimmage because there were a lot of really successful screens to Delvin Cook. And then he could hit deep passes because they were running successfully and all that stuff. But this year, everyone knows exactly what's coming before you even step on the field. So if you can't execute it at a super high level, there's got to be a different answer for them. And, And that's where 
at least last week, there was not a different answer. It was a lot of the same. He came out with a couple of more bootlegs, but that's still like everything can't just be mash the play action button, mash the, the bootleg button. Like you just mash the Delvin cook button. Like there has to be a consistent successful passing game. At some point, there has to be easy completions that result in big yards. Like even Patrick Mahomes, who is the greatest quarterback that we have seen. in I don't know how freaking long, like maybe since Peyton Manning at his peak, right? But how many easy yards and completions does he get every week on little screen passes to Tyreek mm-hmm. Hill or, or little throws to running backs out of the backfield that he made uh, all these bad running backs or even okay running backs look good with these little passes out of the backfield. Like that is something that has not existed in the first two weeks. And if it doesn't exist, then I'll take it back. Like Kirk could look this bad all season long. I don't think it's possible, but if they don't find ways to get him easy yards, you're exactly right that he will not throw it to a covered BC Johnson. He will not throw it to a covered Adam Thielen a double that I'm feeling very often or Justin Jefferson or Irv Smith. Like he he'll just hang on to it and take sacks or, or throw the ball away or, or whatever it might be over and over again for the whole season. Yeah. And that's what the thing I understand what you're saying. Like give him some gimmies, right? Like drop some quick screens, drop a, a few quick play action drops to get his confidence going to, to give him some easy yards, essentially. Like don't make him, He doesn't need to take deep shots at the beginning of the game or anything like that, but find ways to make him comfortable um, so then you can get a little bit more aggressive as the game goes on. But like you said, I mean, the play-action game hasn't been there, which is just kind of concerning because this is a guy who led the league with 13 play-action touchdowns last year. He's attempted eight play-action passes total this Mm -hmm. season. So that's just kind of weird. And that's on Gary. That's on play calling. But – they, 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 when you, when it comes down to Stefan Diggs, I know that we talk about him ad nauseum, but it's important because what you're seeing, they, they haven't been able to replace what he did so well. Certainly he was the deep ball threat, but Justin Jefferson ran a four, 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 three, 40 yard dash. Um, he's a straight line speed guy. He can be your deep threat, but why aren't you using him to clear out underneath for Adam Thielen or using Thielen to clear out for Jefferson? You know, why aren't you running these deep overs off play action and having Jefferson be that guy? That's what Stefan Diggs did. Hell, that's what Adam Thielen's done before. It's like, why can't they use the playbook or at least parse through it to use pieces of it with Jefferson, with the personnel that they currently have? It's not like, you know, Jefferson may be young, but he's obviously played at a very high level before and he runs a pro style route tree. He knows what he's doing and you can ask considerable amount from him. I just don't really understand why those type of plays have not been called to try to bring out the best in your quarterback, because you're right. There's just not a lot of variety. It just feels like we're seeing the same thing over and over again. And and they can't, you know, they can't win games that way because defense is a, regardless of whether you're playing against this soft cover two that Indianapolis plays um, or playing, you know, a team that's going to blitz you all the time. um, They're just, it's just very easy to figure out what this offense is going to do. It seems like it's very predictable. And and the other point on Jefferson is even if you feel like he doesn't have the route tree mastered, can you just give him the football somehow? I mean, I think that everyone would sign up for that, that uh, of just, run a reverse with him, run a toss sweep with him. If you have to throw a bubble screen, throw us a, a quick slant underneath or, I mean, anything to get the guy running in space. 
because over these first two weeks, they have had nobody get the ball in their hands and make a play. And I would say the same thing for Delvin Cook. If you're going to use Delvin Cook like Terrell Davis in 1997, I mean, it it might not be the most effective way to use a guy who could come out of the backfield and make plays. So he did line up in the slot in one play late in the game. And I thought maybe this is a hint to where this has to go because running up the middle worked really well for them last year because Pat Elfline, I know that everyone is driven insane by Pat Elfline. He was a top 15 run blocker in the NFL last year by Pro Football Focus. I can guarantee you that will not be the case with Drew Samia. I can guarantee you that will not be the case with Dakota Dozier. And Josh Klein was fine. Josh Klein was the best at right guard they've had since Joe Berger. And uh, not to say he was great, but he was fine. And, and he knew what he was doing in the blocking scheme and so forth. Now they have two guys that are well below average, and I'm not even sure you can run behind them after what we saw the other day with DeForest Buckner just eating them alive. So there's going to have to be creativity here, and that's where you go, I'm not so sure that Gary Kubiak is the there-needs-to-be-creativity guy. And I'm not trying to be ageist, and you know that we talk about all the time, we, we love Gary, but when you're out of the game for a bit, I even remember this from Joe Gibbs a Football Life, that when he was out of the game for a bit and he came back, probably John Gruden went through this too, things had changed, and it took some adjusting, and that might be what we're seeing over these first couple of weeks. Um, now, I also wanted to ask you about Mike Hughes. A neck injury, as we record this, he did not practice again, which points to bad things for Sunday. Uh, usually yeah. if you don't practice Wednesday or Thursday, you're not playing on Sunday. A neck injury, same issue we had before. And, I mean, are we going to look at Mike Hughes at some point and just say, I don't even know I don't even know what this guy is. I, I don't even know if I could say, like, he was a bust because he couldn't play or just because he hardly ever played. I think we're going to end up looking at this like he was doomed to fail from the start because the injuries held him back and he was never able to fully assume or play up to the level of his draft positioning. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, the whole bus label, I mean, the reason I bring that up is because I see that in my Twitter mentions just about every fifth tweet that's sent my way. Is this guy's a bust. He, you know, but would you be saying that had he not had the ACL tear? I don't know. I feel like he just was so behind in his development and so much is being asked of him. And the perception that he's supposed to be this veteran at 23 years old in his third season when the guy came into 2020 having 20 career games under his belt, that's unrealistic. Like, stop it. Like, you sh- what the team should have done in the in my eyes, and I think, you know, it's a realistic thing, is bring a veteran along. Like, you're, you, this guy's still learning how to play – cornerback in the NFL because injuries have limited him in so much of the first two years of his career that it's kind of unfair to put these expectations on him because he was behind from the start ever since he injured his ACL against uh, Arizona in 2018 and then just the surgery and all the fallout from that and how long it took him to recover and come back I just think that he was set up in a way um, the injury just hurt him and I'm not going to blame it entirely on that you'd like to think that he could you know be what you drafted but it just doesn't appear that's going to be the case and I think it's because the outside expectations have set it up to where okay he's the first round corner like you've got to you've got to live up to that at some point he just hasn't been able to um and I think people freak out too with Jeff Gladney being a first round corner and he hasn't played great 
um, early on. Because, like, what we saw from Mike Hughes in those first few games as a rookie probably appeared more promising than what you're seeing now with Jeff Gladney. Um, and even someone like Cam Dancer. But granted, look who was playing with Hughes back then. It was a decent Xavier Rhodes before the decline in Trey Wayne. So I don't know if it's fair to judge it in that respect. Um, but, you know, pretty soon, I mean, if this season goes the way that it's trending, um, and obviously before next year they need to determine if they're going to pick up Trey Wayne, or excuse me, Mike Hughes' fifth-year option, um, you might not be in a great situation, uh, or he might not have himself in a great situation to make that happen. This is going to have to be a huge turnaround for that to happen, especially oh, sure. for how much the fifth-year option costs for corners, which uh, people are paying more and more for corners, which means the fifth-year option costs more and more uh, each year. And usually you'd be talking about, okay, the way this team does it, sign a guy to a fifth-year option and then sign him to a long-term contract extension after that. Or, or decide whether you want to after that, like they did with Anthony Barr, or not doing that with Trey Wayans. And, but in this case, you might be talking about not even doing the fifth-year option because you're just too concerned about his injuries and where this is going to go in the future. Because if – I mean, multiple neck injuries just sounds like this isn't going to go very good. I mean, anytime – that's the thing with Daniil Hunter where – hey, look, leave him out as long as you need to leave him out because, A, none of this matters, and, B, it's Daniil Hunter, and a neck injury could mess up your entire career as a pass rusher. Well, the same goes for a cornerback. I mean, we're talking about getting your head around and all these things. Not that a neck injury isn't a big problem anyway, but if it's keeping you out for the second time, that's where you go, uh-oh, this could be a pretty bad situation. And, honestly, I just – I. I feel for the guy because there's nothing you could do about these injuries and ACL those happen to a lot of players a random and kind of bizarre neck injury I'm guessing that this one has something to do with the last one and you get in a situation where we might never ever find out whether Mike Hughes was actually good or not because we saw flashes last year in the Giants game he's terrific in the Dallas game he was awful and then this year he struggled uh, mightily against the Packers and then was good against Indianapolis and then Cam Dantzler getting hurt so quickly coming into the league his big thing was the guy has no meat on the bones he weighs nothing and then he gets a rib injury right off the very start. And that's not great for him either. That's one where you go, that'll recover the rib injury, but still, are we going to be talking about that with him too? And Jeff Gladney not starting and he's got the knee thing. And all of a sudden it's like, remember when we were talking about how all these young corners were going to be better than Rhodes and Waynes? Well, not if they never play or when they do play, they're hurt. And I don't know, there's, there's no like, oh, guys, you should have seen this coming to it. It's just that when you talk yourself into things like the young corners will be fine, we don't need to sign Drake Kirkpatrick or Prince of Makamura, well, think about maybe the worst case as well as the best case. Yeah, no, I mean, I think they were placing too much of a responsibility on this cornerback unit to come along as quickly as would be required to play at a competitive level and to be good and to be able to, like, hold, um, you know, hold, hold their own. You needed a veteran presence there. You needed a Logan Ryan. You needed a Drake Kirkpatrick. You needed somebody who had played the position more than 20 games over the course of their career, like Mike Hughes had, to be that presence. Because as much as Hughes was being relied on kind of as the teacher of this group, you know, kind of like player coach, 
they're looking to him, hey, you've done this, you've been in this defense. Well, he's still a student himself. Um, and I think that's a lot lot to sh- for him to shoulder. So the way that I look at it, I don't think it's really Mike Hughes' fault that things are the way that they are. Uh, and I don't think that you could blame that he hasn't come along quickly enough. I think it's just, you know, this front office, I mean, the decision that they made to not really kick the tires on any corners, um, that's a serious – it's kind of a serious thing. It's not playing out the way it's supposed to. Um that's probably one that you regret. I mean, there's a lot that you can regret from things that they've done in the off season to where they're at right now. But the fact that they never really came close on signing any of the veteran cornerbacks that were out there to me was just really bizarre because that, that felt like the most obvious move. Um, I know that I had several assignments where I had to pick kind of like, what would you expect to happen? And that was one to me, it seemed like a no brainer. Get back to the conversation just a second, but even though sports took a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts at all. Plus, Indeed provides you with powerful tools to make your search even easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, and with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates that you will see fast try indeed with free $75 credit at indeed.com slash blue wire this is their best offer anytime available anywhere go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply offer valid through September 30th yeah I mean guard corner situational rusher all these things we talked about and talked about and talked about and nothing happened and now it's coming back to bite them because Eddie Yarbrough isn't your situational rusher and Drew Samia is not the answer at guard and your cornerbacks are hurt and maybe not ready for this the fact that Zimmer didn't play any of the previous crop of highly drafted corners until basically their third years tells you exactly how hard this is to do and then to put Uh, so much pressure on these guys all as a young group to handle it. I think we always saw that as this could go sideways fast and here we are, it's gone sideways fast. So uh, now Chris Boyd shows up on the uh, injury report and it's like (laughs) Harrison and uh, can Nate Metters come back and play corner? Is Terrence Newman around? I've made that joke. I saw captain Munderland tweet. Hey Vikings. So, I mean, right. Like, what are you going to do if Chris Boyd is also banged up? He's got a hamstring injury. I don't even know who's playing slot corner. It must be Jeff Gladney would be the plan here. That's my, that's my thought, that it would be Gladney at, at nickel. Um, I mean, he'd be playing the whole game because he's going to have to play outside too, and it'd be opposite Holton Hill. But when they're in nickel, oh. Harrison Hand or Mark, you call Mark Fields back up? Or is he still on? No, he's, he's up. up. Yeah, Mark Fields. He's is up. up I so, think, so I guess he used Ooh. him. I know Mark Fields. Yeah, that's 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 just that's the state of things where we're at they right can't, now. They can't. They can't field a defensive back group here. Oh my god. 
Um, I do, unfortunately. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he'd probably have to start outside uh, if you're in nickel and then have Gladney in the slot outside Holton Hill. But, oh, man. You think, he, you think he'd be the offense's mark for that week? Mark Fields? Yep, there you go. That's why you do the podcast, and that's why people listen. Uh, so bad. Uh, and I'm also yeah, not convinced. Really bad. I, I'm also not convinced Holton Hill can, like, play good. Are you? I feel like he. I feel like he gave up on a couple plays, to be quite honest with you, last week, and or made you know what we call business decisions not to tackle. Um, oh, against the Rivers, yeah, especially yeah. against oh, against Rivers uh, when Rivers was trash talking him, and he elected yeah. not to lay him out, which I think said quite a bit about how everybody was feeling that day. But I think it's just it's possible you talk these guys up, you say like, oh well, he's got the potential, the potential, the potential. But we only saw a tiny bit of him in twenty eighteen and that was with a really good defense overall that pressured the quarterback constantly. Now he's actually forced to cover a lot and it looks like he can't play. So if you have a Holton Hill that can't play Jeff Gladney in the slot where he's never been before, really, uh, outside of training camp. And Mark Fields slash maybe an injured Chris Boyd and possibly Holton, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Harrison Hand. Ryan Tannehill is going to throw for what, like 400 yards? 400 yards, yeah, 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 absolutely, yes, yes. Like, there's no way around it. And I just, you're going to be exposed one way or the other. Um, Last week, they chose to play the corners differently to try to help them out. And what did that yield? Jonathan Taylor carving up the run defense by and large throughout like the first three quarters of that game. So it's not going to look good. And I don't know if it's fixable at this point. The expectations of that group were just too much. Like you can't – I just – of any position group like that is directly responsible for keeping receivers in check, and trying to limit the effectiveness of passing games across the NFL with really good quarterbacks. You can't have first-year, second-year players, third-year players who have been injured for most of their career. You can't expect them to be awesome. And I don't know if it was just that that we bought into some of the hubris, um, that, like, this is the cornerback guru and Mike Zimmer, and he, he can figure it out. And, you know, the other corners were such trash, so how much worse could it possibly get? Well, I think you're finding that out right now, and it's like pick your poison. Would you rather have Rhodes and Waynes back here, given what happened last year, versus this group? It might not be as bad, to be quite honest. Oh, no, obviously, they, like, close. They, they, had, they were close. They, had, they had no money. They had no money right. to be able to do that, you know, so, yeah. I look at a lot, of, a lot of the things that they've talked themselves into the same way as my golf game, is that, you know, uh, our buddy <laughs> Sam Ekstrom and I were playing not too long ago, and I made – uh, two long putts. And Sam said, you know what, man, you might just be good at putting. And I was like, you know what? Hell yeah, I am good at putting. And then, of course, the next time we played, no long putts were made. And it really turned out that it just kind of fell my way that previous day. I was, I didn't have any secret sauce for how to make long putts. I was just kind of, just kind of hit it right. And I think that this team with some of the, hey, we can just draft late-round defensive ends or three techniques and turn them into stars. Or, hey, we could just draft corners and we'll just develop them and they'll be great whenever we want at kind of the snap of our fingers. I think those were kind of long putts. Like, yeah, you did something that got you there, so you deserve credit for it. I get to write down a birdie, but 
if I'm going to count on that all the time going forward, I probably shouldn't. And it turned out for the rest of the summer, I didn't hit much long putts. And the same goes for the Vikings. And, and, and you know, I think that they kind of, you could talk yourself, it's the, well, this is the cornerback guy. So anyone they draft will just work. And that goes back to the, hey, maybe you should have had your, like you said, Logan Ryan or, or, or whoever else. Um, because I think that the funny thing about this situation, as bad as it is, it didn't necessarily have to be. It's just that the worst things that could have happened are happening, and that's where you're at. So I have one more subject before uh, you pick the Vikings rest of the schedule to wrap this up. And that is, uh, is Anthony Barr done being a Viking forever after, uh, I mean, well, really just in, in general because of his injury? Maybe. I mean, they can get out of that, right? So 2019, he comes back. It's basically the first two years, and then it's a backloaded contract after that. If you're, It would have to be in a situation, I think, where you're trying to cut your losses and you need to, you need to unload Kirk Cousins however you can, but you also need to create cap salary. If you can't, then you're trying to create salary cap space elsewhere. Um, so if you can, if you can dump his contract or cut him and get rid of him, it, it just move on. I think you might. That's always kind of been the one that you looked at when they, when he, shortchanged himself a lot to come back and play here. You look at that contract and say, okay, well, at 2021, you know, after the first two years are over, there's probably a way that they can, you know, cut their losses with Barr and move on. And I think it's honestly just because he, you, you talk such big game about making this guy a situational pass rusher. And it was just never like, it just never played out the way that you wanted it to. Right. So it's like, well, you've seen what you're going to see with him. Do you really need to see more? Do you really think it's worth investing that much in keeping him around past this season? He's got a $15.5 million cap hit next year. Kendrick's goes up to 12.53. Um, it's expensive. So I'm looking at it right now. If you cut him in 2021, you have – it's 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 just like, gosh, it puts you in a bad spot. There's a $7.7 million in cap savings. But the dead money for that is seven point eight. So yeah. that's a lot. Like, yeah. but it would uh, be huge. It would be, be huge after that, though. Yes, so and and it's sort of like a the digs trade where it got you a little now and a lot later. Sure. Um, and, but once a team starts accruing a bunch of dead cap space, you're like you start looking at them a little side eye. Like, is something going on? Are you guys okay? Are you guys going to be all right with all that dead cap space? Because usually that hinders you eventually, and it will for them. Uh, with Bar. You ever, you ever think I, I'm trying to think of like a comparison with Anthony Barr and becoming more of a pass rusher. It's just like maybe when I was a little kid, my parents always talked about taking us to Disney world and never did. And it was sort of like, maybe there, maybe there's that to it. It's just like someday, someday we'll just, we'll go and we'll plan on it. Okay, great. And it just never, never, ever happened. His press conference after he comes back, they're talking about, Oh yeah, what more of a pass rusher and all that just never, never, ever happened. And I think it's fine that it didn't happen. It's just funny to me that it was nonstop discussed. And even through this whole off season with the Friday mailbag questions, I get is bar going to become a peer pass rusher? Like, no, no, he's not. We're never going to Disneyland. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, but I think that if Eric Wilson plays really well, he's going to be cheaper than bar in the future, even with the dead cap situation. And then you mentioned something about getting out from under Kirk. 
I am putting odds Kirk Cousins is a 2021 quarterback at about 95% at this yeah. moment. Now maybe this could be our, like, Kirkometer watch or something. I put, you could do a pie chart with this one, to be quite we, honest. We could, but my whole pie chart is Kirk coming back. And then the other ones are just tiny little slivers. Am I, am I wrong at putting it at 95%? And at this moment, in September of 2020, it's just not even a discussion that he's not the quarterback in 2021. I mean, unless you honestly go one in 15, if you have a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence, you do it. No question. Um, But I just don't think that they're going to get there. Like I said this, I think, on the podcast on Sunday, they're like a team that's in this weird purgatory state where they're never going to be so terrible that they lose every or almost every single game. Like, they're a 5-11, and 6-10 team on paper right now, and that's not good enough necessarily to get you the top quarterback that could be your game-changing, franchise-altering player. But if you have the chance to do it, you do it, and then you just have to take your, you know, sw- you know just take your lumps and say, oh, like, Kirk's a very expensive backup at this point on our roster. Um, you cannot dump this contract. It is essentially, effectively, a fully guaranteed contract, again, with a yep. two-year $66 million guarantee because of the way it's structured. His base salary next season, which is $21 million, is fully guaranteed. Beyond that, that $35 million base salary in 2021 becomes fully guaranteed on the third day of the league year in, in that season next year so his 2022 base salary let me say that again because I remember when this whole thing came out I was like what like <laughs> his, his base salary the way they structured this you're paying for him in 2022 three days into the 2021 league year so how are you going to trade him who's going to want to take on that contract right you have That's tethered right. yourself to this guy and it is your own doing um yeah. And I think that the Osweiler situation isn't quite comparable because he didn't have a $45 million cap hit. Like, he had a cap hit, but it wasn't like this. The other thing I would say, too, the Detroit Lions had a wonderful case to draft Tua this year, and they picked Jeff Okuda. The San Francisco 49ers had a great case to pick a quarterback in 2018. They stuck with Jimmy Garoppolo. Washington, the football team, had a great case to draft Tua. But a lot of times when teams make a decision on who our quarterback is, they stick with it and they go with it. And I think that it's possible that even if the Vikings were drafting in the top three or four, that they would not do that, that they might even trade out and take the tackle instead uh, of taking Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. I think that that's possible. And I know that anybody who just heard this, if you're in your car, you drove off the road. If you're near a window, you jumped out of it. But I'm telling you, it's realistic. That's the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions had about the most miserable year ever last year and they still didn't pick a quarterback because they're sold on their guy Matt Stafford and here we are he's 0-2 again I mean Matt Stafford the most celebrated 68 and 81 quarterback of all time I've never seen a quarterback do so much losing and get so much celebration as Matt Stafford but I, I think that they feel the same way like, he's our guy. We can win with him if we put a good team around him. I think the Vikings feel that way. And also, if you draft Trevor Lawrence, you better be handed in your resignation papers after that because you signed yeah. Kirk Cousins to an extension and told everyone he's your guy. This is the real him in 2019. And if that's the case, that means you were so freaking wrong that you might as well just walk away. So I think that it's very possible 
that we don't see that even if they get to the top two, which, by the way, they won't. So, so you're th- you, you're saying stubbornness of this front office and the willingness to the non-willingness to concede. Yeah, we screwed up. Um, would prevent them from drafting Trevor Lawrence if I, they had a shot at him. Yeah, I think there's to protect no- to protect their own jobs, not for the sake yes. of the franchise. There's no guarantee that they take a quarterback in the top two if somehow they end up getting there, in my mind, because they're the ones that extended Cousins and were sold on him as being the 2019 version. They have pushed all the chips to the middle of the table with Kirk Cousins. They've said he's our guy, he's our franchise, and to double back on that means you were wrong about everything. And so if you were wrong about everything, then you might as well just not be running the team anymore if you were this wrong on this position. That's, that's how I look at it. it. And so I think it's always been, hey, we just got to give Kirk this, give Kirk that, and it would still be that. And I, I might be completely wrong. I'm just saying it's possible that this circumstance, as we've seen before with San Francisco not drafting a quarterback high, and we've seen with Detroit not drafting a quarterback high, that we could run into the same thing. So, all right, this has been epic, and you have to finish it off this way by picking the rest of the Vikings schedule. So this weekend against the Titans, what do you think? Loss. Okay, 0-3. They go down to Houston. Loss. 0-4. I think I know the next one. So they yeah won. lost. We are that, that yeah. one hasn't changed. It's they're starting. I already said they're starting out zero and five. You can't flex that one too early. Uh, Falcons on October eighteenth, the game that they want to have fans at. I think that that's going to be a win. I don't think they're starting out zero and six going into that week seven bye. I really don't. Okay, at Green I think Bay. That, sorry, go ahead. No, that's fine. I, I don't. I don't. I just don't see that. That they're not. Like we said, they're too talented to be absolutely atrocious but they're not able to overcome enough to be better than where they're at right now. So I think that you're on tra- – I mean, I'm not going to give – I'll stop there because I'm not going to give away kind of what I have in my head for this team. But, yes, at Green Bay, I think that that will be a loss. Okay. Then they play Detroit on November 8th. That will be a win. Okay. Uh, at Chicago, even when we thought they were going to be good, we were giving them L's at Chicago. That's still going to be a loss because it's Soldier Field. Okay. Uh, Dallas comes in, which would, Fox has this as their 325 game because they thought this was going to be good. Can you flex that out at I that point? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think you're stuck there. So the Cowboys at Vikings. That'll be a loss. All right. Panthers and Jaguars, why don't we just pin them together unless you think there's a difference at this point? I'll say that Carolina is going to be a win. I think Jacksonville is going to be a loss. Okay, so they have three wins going into the final quarter of the season where they play at Tampa Bay. Tom Brady looks decent so far. Loss. Okay. You have the Bears at Minnesota. Win. All right. They go down to New Orleans. I'm going to say that I'm still keeping that as a win. Okay. I think that I can see it. I can see because it. there's always some wild – Yep. Does it make any sort of sense? Like when the Browns beat the Ravens last year, like it just, it's always something it. wild. So yeah. uh, what do I have now? I have four wins at this. I have five wins. Five, at this five wins at this point, And they're playing Detroit. Detroit at Detroit to end the season. January 3rd, 2021, the best year of our lives. That's a loss. So they are a five and 11 team. Okay. That's about, I have them five, 11, six and 10 at this point too. I think the mm-hmm. same way. I think that they, 
they, they steal one earlier than you have them stealing one, um, maybe against Houston, but either way. Yeah, Houston's a toss-up. Like, if, if Houston loses this week and both teams are going in looking for their first win of the season, oh, I might boy. say, it, gosh, it's weird. Like, Houston's more talented on paper. Um but I just – I don't know. I, Deshaun Watson's the better quarterback. Yeah. I yeah. And if you're dealing – I mean, but then again, if you get your cornerbacks back, um, which I don't know if it's really that much of an advantage, maybe you're in a better situation going to Houston if you're healthy, but, you know, you're still down to Neil Hunter probably at that point. Because I, I have said this. I don't think he's coming back anytime soon, even yeah. though he's got the – he's got the ability to come back off IR at least uh, after three weeks, which would be the Houston week. But then you're down – Troy Dye is not going to be able to be at that game. Anthony Barr is out for the season. Um, who knows what other injuries will pop up. Like, uh, yeah, I just think that that's still going to be a loss. But it really will depend on what how, how good or bad Houston looks uh, against the Steelers this weekend. Here's what we know. It's not going to be normal, and it's going to be a wild ride, and we'll be there for uh, every bump and every twist and every turn. So, uh, Courtney, thank you for your time as always. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible change to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, championships, all. All day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BlueWire at BetOnline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts.